We are finishing up together Mark chapter 12, and we will be getting into Mark 13 starting next week. But this morning we're looking together at Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Mark 12, 41 to 44. Um, boys and girls, I'd be very happy for you to join me up front after service for a time of just questions. If you have any questions about the sermon or about anything uh, when having to do with Jesus, uh, I, don't, I don't really know that much about anything else. Uh, so be glad to talk with you about Jesus. Um, but uh, Yes, I'd, I'd be glad for you to join me for a Q&A after service. Uh, I have a few books, a uh, biography about Adoniram Judson, a kind of uh, uh, graphic novel about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, the biggest story storybook Bible, or the biggest story Bible storybook, I should say, and Little Pilgrim's Big Journey. So we have just some books that our family has really, really enjoyed that I'd love for you to take home and and have at home for you to read and for your parents to read to you as well. Um, and, and I'd love for some of you to take those home. With that said, if we're going to open God's Word, if you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious Word, we're looking at Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. And this is what Mark has written about Jesus and his time in the temple, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is what it says. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, we ask. Amen. You can be seated. Well, ben Witherington relates a story. He, he grew up hearing from his father. There was a leader in their church going around their town to collect giving commitments or pledges uh, from church members. This church would, would give out these pledge cards that the members of the church would then take home and fill out, and they would indicate on that pledge card how much money they planned to give to the church on the upcoming year. And this leader was going around to visit each congregant at their home and, and to collect their giving pledges. Well, eventually this leader's rounds took him to the home of a retired widowed woman living on a fixed income. She lived in a, a trailer on the edge of town. And this is what happened when he visited. When the leader found the lady, he, he noted the condition of her tiny yard and trailer. He was growing increasingly reluctant then 
to ask for her pledge of money. And as the chat between them wound down, the leader rose to leave without asking for the pledge. And, and the widow said, wait just a minute, son, I've got the, the pledge card on the fridge here. And she went to the other room to get it. And he just kind of muttered in return, that's all right, ma'am. We're, we understand you're just barely getting by. She came back into the room. She interrupted him. Before he could finish his sentence, she got right up in his face and grabbed him by his shirt collar and said, don't you take away from me my opportunity to contribute to the ministry of Jesus. Don't you do it, son. And she slapped the pledge card on his chest, and he left. Like this woman, the widow in our text this morning would not allow her, her deficiency to prevent her from the delight of giving to God. As we've been working our way through Mark's gospel, we've been looking at events, the events that took place on the Tuesday before Christ's Friday death and Sunday resurrection. He's been in the temple teaching and answering questions and debating. And, and in his teaching, we saw last week that Jesus went hard in the paint against the scribes there. He publicly exposed their, their hypocrisy, their, their false religion, their predatory behavior. He showed that while, while they gave an appearance of godliness, they, they actually didn't love God and they didn't love their neighbors as themselves. But now this morning, Jesus offers us an example of of the scribe's opposite. He gives a contrasting example of someone who is godly, who loves God, who loves her neighbors, who's worthy of emulating, someone who commends to, he, he commends to his disciples as an example really worth following. And it's this poor little old widow, this poor helpless kind of woman that the scribes, as we saw, they, they took advantage of, as we, we saw last week. And and what we find as we look at this story of this poor woman giving her money to the plans and purposes of God, what we find as we find Jesus commending this woman to his disciples and to us still today, what, what we discover is what Jesus sees, what Jesus delights in, and what Jesus desires. What Jesus sees, delights in, and, del- and desires. And first we find what Jesus sees. Now look at verse 41 there. It says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Now, up to this point, Jesus had been in a part of the temple area called the court of the Gentiles, but now he's made his way to an area called the court of the women. And with this, Jesus has come into sight of the treasury with all of the offering boxes. History tells us that this this treasury area had eight metal offering boxes. Okay, and, and coming out of these metal offering boxes were, were actually ram's horns. These, these ram horns that had been hollowed out, and people could just drop their coins into the ram horns, and they would kind of drop down into this metal box, and it would make a loud noise. If you gave a lot, uh, it would make a, a loud and continuous noise, just clink, 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 clink. But if you gave a small coin or two, you'd just hear a little clink or two. And with all that noise, it would be hard not to notice what was going on there. But, but even more, Jesus doesn't seem to be just kind of casually aware of what's going on with these offering boxes. It says that he's watching. And, and not just kind of people watching. You know, I like people watching. I like going to coffee shops, restaurants, airports, uh, church. I, what I like to do in public areas is just kind of watch people. It can be uncomfortable if someone catches you, but it's, it's very fun to just kind of watch people. This goes beyond just kind of mere people watching. Jesus is very intentionally watching this practice of giving at the temple, and this is what he sees. Many rich people, 
it says, put in large sums. Many wealthy people are coming in, and they're putting in just clink, 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 just lots of coins pouring into these metal boxes. And you can imagine that those around seeing, hearing this, are probably impressed by what they're seeing and hearing. Possibly even Jesus' disciples are, are hearing and seeing this, and they're impressed, taking note about how much these rich folks are putting in, and they're impressed, but Jesus isn't impressed by this. He's impressed by what comes next, verse 42. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. This poor widow came in, and she put in two small copper coins known as a lepta. Leptas were the smallest possible amount of money in Israel at that time. And, and the ESV translate this as saying that two leptas make a penny. That's not exactly right. Without going into a lot of detail, I did calculations this last week, and I'm not good at math, but I think it would amount to about $3 today. So it's not a lot of money, especially not compared to all of the clink, 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 clink that all of these rich people had been putting in. And, and yet Jesus sees this, and as he sees this, he tells his disciples, truly I say to you, truly I say, so truly I say to you, is like me saying to you right now, listen very closely to what I'm about to tell you. This is important, boys and girls. It's like when your mom or dad tells you, hey, hey, listen up to me. Listen very carefully. We need to listen to Jesus very carefully. What he's about to tell us is important. This is what he says. This poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. And you might think, well, obviously that's not true. Right? Didn't you hear all the clink, 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 clink from all the rest of those guys? When she put her offering in, it was just two little clinks. Two little clinks. She hardly put anything in. And yet Jesus sees beyond the mere appearance of things, as he shows us in verse 44 when he says this, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Boys and girls, here's one of the things I want you to understand about Jesus. He sees everything. He sees everything we do. Proverbs 15.3 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And Jesus Just as Jesus was watching these rich folks put in their offerings and this poor widow put in hers, Jesus sees everything we do. But what's more is that Jesus saw even beyond what other people did, he knew what was going on in people's hearts. John 2.25 says that Jesus knows what is in man. Jeremiah 20.12 says that the Lord sees the mind and the heart. Jesus sees everything, not just everything we do. Jesus sees everything we think, desire, feel. He's not just, he knows not just our actions, but the intentions that motivate our actions. Jesus sees not just the appearance of things, Jesus sees the heart. Boys and girls, you'll be familiar with, with King David from the Old Testament. But did you actually know that there was a king before King David in Israel? Does anyone know his name? Boys and girls, Evie, that's exactly right, King Saul. King Saul was king before David, and he was impressive looking. He was impressive. He was a tall and towering and tough looking man. 
He was an experienced warrior, and that's what attracted people to him in in Israel in the first place. They wanted an impressive-looking king, and so they chose Saul to be their king, and Unfortunately, there, there came a time that God didn't want Saul to be his king anymore, uh, to be the king in Israel anymore. And so the Lord actually sent the prophet Samuel to go find a new king in this little unimpressive town called Bethlehem. And when he arrived, Samuel initially saw a very impressive looking man there, a man uh, named Eliab. This is David's big brother. And Samuel thought, oh, surely Eliab is the guy. He's pretty impressive looking like Saul. He's, he's tall, towering, tough looking. But then the Lord said something very interesting to Samuel about Eliab. He said this, he said, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's what Jesus saw when he was in the temple on this Tuesday 2,000 years ago, he's able to look past the amounts given to the hearts of those giving. He's able to see our hearts today. He knows what we do, boys and girls, but even more, he knows why we do what we do. The rich givers may have been able to fool the people around them into thinking that they were generous and good and godly, but they couldn't fool Jesus. Likewise, many of us, we may do good things to keep us out of trouble, We may be able to fool others into thinking that we're good people, but God knows the very thoughts of our minds. He knows every motivation in our hearts. He sees it all, and we can't hide it from him because Jesus sees the heart. And with that, we also see what Jesus delights in, what Jesus delights in. Look at verse 43 again. This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Now, obviously in one sense... The poor widow didn't put in more to all who were giving in the offering box. The rich obviously gave more if all you're counting is coins. But what Jesus is exposing here is that the wealthy were giving from their surplus. He says they contributed out of their abundance. They gave from what they had left over. Their giving was no great sacrifice for them. It was not, in the grand scheme of things, truly generous. The widow, however, Jesus says, out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. If, we're talk, if all we're talking about is sums, the rich put in more. If we're talking about proportion, though, the widow's far above more generous than these wealthy donors. They gave smaller amounts in proportion to their wealth than she did in, the, in her poverty. And that's what Jesus is praising and committing. He's impressed not by the widow's sum, but by her sacrifice. And because of this, For Christians all over the world and over the last 2,000 years, this this widow has been held up as an example worth following for us. Boys and girls, this last week I read a story about a a, a church, a group of Christians in India. They live in in the Mizoram region, one of the poorest regions in all of India. 100 years ago, this church uh, of Mizo believers made a decision. They didn't have a lot to give or a lot to spare. But they decided that every time they cooked any food, they would grab a handful of uncooked rice and they'd throw it into a separate container to give to their local church. And then this church would then sell the rice to their neighbors and use the money to support pastors and missionaries to minister among their neighbors, almost none of whom knew Jesus. It's a seemingly small thing. 
a seemingly small thing. And in and, and the first year that they did this, they only raised $1.50. It's not much. But they've continued, and they've been faithful with these small things. And now today, all of these Meso-Christians in doing this actually raise $1.5 million every year and support thousands of missionaries in India and even in other countries. And the Lord has used their generosity to bring the majority of their Meso-neighbors to faith in Jesus. One Meso-Christian said that as long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give to God every day. They're generous out of their poverty, not out of their abundance. And the Lord delights in their sacrifice and generosity as we see here. In another country, in Argentina and South America, there's a prison there called Number 25. It's a prison there. And, and Number 25 is a unique prison in two ways. One, all the inmates in Number 25 have killed at least two people. Second, there's a thriving church and Bible school in the prison there. And in fact, this church and Bible school has brought many in the prison to trust in Jesus. It's eliminated violence in the prison. It's transformed and prepared some of Argentina's worst criminals to serve Jesus in and outside the prison. And a group of these Christian prisoners in number 25 are a very worthy example of, of generosity to us, even in the midst of their poverty. For some of the Christian prisoners, their, their families will send them food and clothing. And what these, these Christian prisoners have started doing is every time they get food or clothing from their families, they set aside one-third of everything they get. One out of three pieces of clothing, one out of three food items, they put in one-third of it all in a room at the prison, and it's set aside for any in the prison who need it. Uh, one, is a, one of the prisoner uh, pastors explains that that there are others in the prison who have nothing. Their families can't come visit them. And since the government doesn't provide food and clothing for the prisoners, these other inmates would be starving and naked without this. So they say, all of us take the first fruits from what we're given by our families, and we put it in what they call the tithe room. They give, not out of their abundance, but out of their poverty. And the Lord delights in their sacrificial generosity. Friends, a few coins... Uh, a handful, a few handfuls of rice a day, some food and clothing. It doesn't seem like much. But the significance of our gifts is not measured by some, but by sacrifice. The things we do for God are not deemed worthy because of their display or dimension, but by the devotion of our hearts. It's not the plentitude of our giving that Christ is necessarily interested in as much as it's the proportion. Some of us may feel as if we don't have much to give to God and to the cause of his kingdom and to his church. We may not have impressive gifts. We may not have a lot of money. We may not have much time to spare. But when we give and sacrifice what little we have to Christ, with hearts full of joy and generosity, Christ is delighted. He receives it as a valuable offering because it's offered with true devotion and heartfelt sincerity. Boys and girls, you, you may feel as if because you're young, you don't have much, if any, money. You don't have a, a lot of experience. You may feel so small in this big, wide world, but none of those things count you out from being significant in the eyes of Jesus. None of those things count you out from doing significant things in the eyes of Jesus. If you'll give what you have over to him in devotion and sacrifice, he'll be delighted. And this is true all because of what ultimately he desires. Look with me last at what Jesus desires. You know, we, we pointed out how the disciples 
uh, or, or how the widow, rather, is displayed as a kind of opposite to the scribes that we saw last week. They, the scribes appeared good. They said all the right things, but their hearts, their hearts were far from God. They didn't actually love God with all their hearts. And this widow doesn't seem exemplary if all you're looking at is sums and appearances, but her generosity outstrips them all because her heart was for God. And this widow also serves as something as an opposite force to the rich young ruler that we saw earlier in Mark. Earlier in Mark's gospel, we, we, we came to uh, Mark 10, 17 through 22, and this rich young man came up to Jesus and he said, Teacher, I, I want eternal life. What do I need to do? And Jesus said, You know, do the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, so on and so forth. And the young man said, Oh, I've done all that. I must be good. So Jesus said to him, You lack one thing. You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But then Mark tells us that disheartened by the saying, this young man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He wouldn't give it all away and follow Jesus because his heart was invested in his money, not in the Messiah. He wanted his coins more than he wanted Christ. He wanted his gold more than he wanted God. Boys and girls, here's the reality. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our gifts. In all reality, God doesn't need anything at all. But what he's after, what he desires, what he wants is us. He wants our hearts. He wants our devotion and allegiance to belong ultimately to him and to nothing else. And some of us hear that, some of us adults in the room, we hear that and we go, man, I am so glad God wants my heart and not my money. Not so fast, because it just so happens that generally whatever we give our money to, whatever we spend our time doing, whatever we invest our gifts in, that's an expression of what our hearts love and desire most. Whatever we spend our money and time on is generally what we're most devoted to. If you say your heart is for God, but your money isn't, you're either deceived or you're a liar. And that goes for all of us. Adults in the room, it's it's worth asking ourselves where it is we spend our our money, our time, our talent. Inevitably, whatever it is, it's revealing what is most important to us. It's revealing what we love most. It's revealing the devotion of our hearts. When, When you take inventory of your bank account or your calendar, you're seeing what your heart is truly devoted to. It's worth asking, what is it? What are you devoted to? Parents, what, what kind of example are we setting for our children in this regard? Here's the reality. The way you live is often going to speak louder to your children than the words you say and the instruction you give. You may say that Christ is the most important thing in the whole universe and that, is a church, and that his church is essential and that our lives are oriented around his kingdom, but, but do they see you using your money and time to serve God and his people? Do they see you being generous and you're giving to the church? Perhaps this is something we ought to consider. I realized this last week. In our time of digitalized giving, the, the coming generation is not going to see us dropping anything in the offering plate. Our, our giving is largely invisible to them, and that's, that doesn't make it necessarily wrong. It's not a sinful thing, but it brought to question my mind this last week for our home, how can I show my children our families giving to the church in order to show them that it's important? And to set a precedent for the same in their own lives as they get older. Not only that, uh, parents, at, at some point, our children do start to give, 
uh, to get money on their own, even if very small amounts? Are we training and discipling our children to now give to, to God in, his, in the ministry of his word? Are we guiding and instructing them to be generous and not just in mere actions, but also in attitude and disposition of heart? Boys and girls, when you obtain money, it's good and right that you would set aside a portion of it in order to give it to God and his kingdom. It may not be a lot. That's okay. Because ultimately speaking, Jesus is not ultimately after your money. He's after your heart. He wants you. And your giving is just a reflection of his having you. When you get money, my guess is that one of the first things that comes to your mind, like it is for many of us, is what can I get with this? What can I get at the vending machine at school? What toy can I get from Target? What book can I get from the bookstore? What treat can I get from the grocery store? Whatever. And and it's not wrong to want or buy things like that for ourselves. But the first question we get when we get money should not be, what can I get with this? Instead, it should be, how can I glorify God with this? How can I love God with this? How can I use this to love others? And to even have that kind of mindset in the first place, before we ever even get money, we need to give our hearts to God. Boys and girls, did did any of you know John Calvin? Have you ever heard of John Calvin before? We like John Calvin. One of my children is named after him. We're we're fans of John Calvin in our household. John Calvin had this motto. A motto is a, a sentence that kind of expresses the big pursuit of your life. And John Calvin had this motto. Uh, there's a coin uh, with a symbol for Calvin's motto. Uh, it, it's up here. Okay, so there's the coin. That was a coin in, in the Netherlands for, from a few hundred years ago. And uh, can you see what that symbol is? Can you see what, what, what that is there, boys and girls? What is that? Can you see what it is? Yeah, it's a heart. And w- what is the heart in? It's in a hand, right? And it's kind of holding the hand up to heaven, right? So this is, this is a, the, the symbol of John Calvin, and it's based on his motto. And, and this is what his motto was. My heart I give to you, Lord promptly and sincerely. My heart I give to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. Boys and girls, that is what Jesus desires from us. He desires our hearts. He wants us. He wants us to give him our hearts, our very selves, with sacrifice and sincerity. I wonder if that's a prayer that you might even pray today. My heart I give to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. And boys and girls, giving ourselves, our hearts, our money, our all to Jesus makes all the sense in the world when we realize that he first gave himself for us. Remember that Jesus came to become a man for us. And not only that, but that he went to the cross. And and truly, this man suffering and dying on a cross didn't look like much. It didn't look impressive. It didn't appear glorious. Much like this little offering from this poor widow. But it was, it was glorious, it was significant because on that cross, Jesus was giving himself to and for us. He was so devoted to us. He didn't just give part, he he gave his whole, he gave the whole of himself for us. He offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross for us and then he went down into the grave on that Friday and he rose again from the grave on that Sunday morning and as he rose from the grave he is alive he's ascended to heaven and there he stands in heaven at the right hand of God with arms wide open to us saying I have given myself completely to you 
Give yourself completely to me. I have sacrificed sacrificed myself for you and devoted myself to you. I am yours. Give yourself to me and you will be saved. And when we say in sincerity, Lord, I give my heart to you promptly and sincerely, we are saved. We're saved from all the sins we've committed. The sinful actions that that God sees are forgiven, but also the sins of our hearts, the sins that maybe no one else sees, but God sees those sins we might even at times be ashamed to admit. We know that they're there and God knows, but even more, God forgives our sins and he washes all of them away for the sake of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And when we realize what Jesus has done for us, we're changed We realize that just as Jesus told us in in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, we have freely received everything from him. But then he says to us, freely give. If you freely received, freely give. And so we want to give because we've freely received everything we need in Christ. Just like that that old woman who gave her pledge card to the church leader, just like those meso Christians who throw a handful of rice into a container every day just like those prisoners in number 25, just like this old poor widow with these two coins. We want to give because we've received so much from our Lord and our Savior who gave us everything he had, all that he had to live on so that we would be saved. Let's go to him now in prayer and give thanks. Father, we do give you thanks for sending the Christ for us. Jesus, we do thank you for coming and for giving us yourself, giving us everything you had, giving everything that you are and everything that you have over to us so that we might have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places lavished on us. Thank you for giving us the riches of your grace and your mercy. Thank you for pouring out your blood for our sake and for our salvation. And we pray that as we we observe the Lord's table now, that you would open our eyes to discern and see what's truly taking place here, this great drama that tells us of your great sacrifice. And Holy Spirit, we ask that as that takes place, that you would give us communion with the Lord Jesus Christ and with one another in a way that transforms us and strengthens us to be generous and sacrificial in our lives, in this week ahead, even today, even now. Work in us as we come to your table. Work in us as we have heard your word. Sanctify us according to the Lord Jesus and the word that he has given us. In Mark's gospel, we pray all this in his name. Amen.